0: In my announcements earlier, I um, forgot to mention that hanging up on where the uh, AV uh, equipment is and our guys in the back, hanging up on that is an Operation Christmas Child with with envelopes there provided uh, for being able to pay for the shipping that will get the box on the back of a camel uh, and to uh, some kid to to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to point that out. In uh, the song that we sang where everybody kind of, Stop singing, um, because they didn't know the word. Um, I, I wanted to help you with that. Um, you, you might have looked and thought, did it, it, the, the word was paraclete, um, not not parakeet. All right, uh, and it wasn't talking about a pair of cleats. Uh, it, paraclete is is uh, a word that is talking about the Holy Spirit. So if you're thinking, what am I singing about a bird? No, you weren't singing about a bird. Uh, it was uh, in reference to the Holy Spirit. We are starting a new series this morning. We went through Genesis, uh, and then we did a four-week break talking about the vision for Mandeville Bible Church, and now we're moving on to the book of Exodus. Uh, you might be thinking, oh no, is Leviticus next? Uh, it's not, all right? It's not. I, 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 pro- I wouldn't do that to myself uh, just yet um we're just those first two books genesis and exodus are so foundational to understanding um much of the of the new testament uh and so it's it's a healthy thing for us uh to to go over those those two books to get a great foundation Uh, the new testament gives the answers but the old testament gives us the questions uh so uh it's good to to be able to go back into the old testament and uh, and bring some things that uh, um, the purpose and, and find those questions uh, and uh, and in the process uh, maybe discover a few things that uh, that if we understand we will start connecting things together uh, and uh, and if you're new to Bible study if you're if you're new to studying Scripture then um, then this is a, a, going through Genesis and Exodus is a, is a great way to start uh, talking about missions uh, new tribes mission. Uh, now it's now it's known as ethnos 360 um, they they found that they would go and people in, in a tribal situation would raise their hand yes they they want to trust Christ and what they found out is that they were just being polite if the uh, if basically what they what they found out later what the tribal people told them is hey, if the white people said do this, we did it because uh, you know we're going to be polite to the guests uh, and they found that there really wasn't anything going on there they were just being polite. And so they went back and, and they said, OK, we're so desiring to give the answer that we forgot to give them the question. Uh, and so they, they have uh, developed a system that we can purchase. I've been, uh, my previous church, Bible Center Church, we, we, we purchased this curriculum from them called Creation to Christ. Uh, and, it, and it lays out exactly what it is. One day it's my intention, or if you can find it online, to watch a, a movie called e uh, and it chronicles the uh, the new tribes missionary going into a, a tribe in New Guinea, going from creation to Christ, and people were so into it, um, and it was coming up to that the climax of 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 Jesus Christ and His crucifixion that uh, that they had women who were who were in labor who asked to be like to come to the meeting and just be out of sight and they could give birth while listening to, to the, the conclusion of Christ. Um, and so we want to go back and, and, uh, and help us understand why it is we need a Savior, uh, and, and we desperately do. So we're starting a new series, and what we're really going to learn is we're going to learn this answer, we're going to study this question, who is the Lord? Obviously, we got some of that in Genesis, but I think this is the theme of the book of Exodus, is who is the Lord? Uh, so we are back to this book study and uh, after exodus we'll, we'll head to the new testament i have i have an idea i don't want to tell you because i i preserve the right to change my mind uh but uh but working through a a series in the new testament after we're, we're finished with exodus and i have it right now at about 12 weeks so i want to get through exodus at a speed in which we might remember the beginning uh if we if we go too slow then we, we get someplace now why is that important and it, it becomes hard to connect the dots. Uh, So we're going to go through it quickly, 12 12 weeks, um, and, uh, and trust that the Lord will use his word because the Lord always uses his word. When we last were looking in the book of Genesis, we saw how God moved his young, fragile nation to Egypt, where that nation could grow in number and in strength. Through deplorable acts, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Through more deplorable acts, Joseph finds himself second in command of all Egypt. Uh, And God used all of those evil acts uh, that were were committed on Joseph to get Joseph to be in the right position at the right time. We, We plan our steps, but the Lord is the one who establishes them. Only the king outranked Joseph. In Joseph's position of power and authority, because of that, he rescues his family from starvation and sets them up in prime real estate, where the family can herd their flocks and keep their livestock without the pagan influence of the Egyptians. Egyptians were disgusted by shepherds and ranchers. So they didn't seek to join with the sons of Israel like the Canaanites did back in the land of Canaan. They were completely fine being with with shepherds and ranchers because they themselves were shepherds and ranchers. They were a lot alike. So in their mind, and they had offered uh, in Genesis, hey, let's have your kids marry our kids and we'll just become one group. Uh, and, um, and when you mix clean with dirty, dirty don't get clean, right? Uh, and so they are able to move to Egypt and the Egyptians think they're disgusting. They smell like sheep. Uh, and, uh, and they don't want anything to do with them. So they can be in Egypt, and yet they can be a distinct nation. Uh, and, uh, and it just worked out. They have the protection of Egypt without the influence of Egypt and the influence in, in religion and in, in worshiping Egyptian deities, Egyptian gods. And by the way, Pharaoh is what? Considered a god. So even even the worship of Pharaoh, they were able to not have to take part in that. so because of that the israelites were able to be distinct from the egyptians it wasn't a melting pot they were divided from the egyptians but the israelites were protected by the egyptians and it said in genesis 47 27 i have a few verses when we get to some some verses but we're going to basically review a little bit into genesis and stick in the early part of exodus so it's all just a few pages uh for you to, to turn easy easier to find um it says in Genesis 47, 27, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Multiplied greatly. Uh, when they came into the land of Egypt, there were 70 people. Uh, and if you jump ahead to the book of Numbers, they leave at around a million. So when the Bible said they were able to, they multiplied greatly. The uh, Bible wasn't kidding. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that because if we go back to Genesis 12, when when God approaches Abram, who later becomes Abraham, and he approaches him, and and at that point Abram uh, is a, is a pagan. Uh, the, God's calling on his life made all the difference. Abram didn't deserve God's calling. He was a pagan. He worshipped pagan. He was an idolater. He was part of his culture, and God called him from that. And when he called him from that uh, and, and asked him by faith to, to do what God said. Basically, leave Ur, leave everything you know, leave your family, leave, leave your wealth behind and start walking, buddy, and I'll let you know when you get there. Uh, tough task to do. Uh, if you're a history major, you remember the Fertile Crescent. Ur is at one end of the Fertile Crescent. So if you're going to start walking, there's really only one direction. It's either walk out into the uh, wilderness and die or walk the the paths of the fertile crescent so abram starts walking uh and and he he by faith he he makes that he makes that uh, decision but it says i will make you a great nation and i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you i will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed besides the promise that From Abraham, a great nation would be formed. God promised Abraham that a special connection would exist between God and the future nation. God promised that he would bless those nations that blessed Abraham's descendants. And God said that he would curse those nations that cursed Abraham's descendants. On top of that, God said that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to all nations, tribes, clans, and families on earth. Here's the point. God desire God's desire is to be a God that blesses people. That is the heart of God. In Genesis 128, going all the way back to the beginning, with Adam and Eve, God blessed them, it says in Genesis 128. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. From the very beginning, God blessed Adam and Eve. And part of that blessing was the command to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over what God had created. Our God is a God that blesses his people. Specifically, the blessing that we see in Genesis and Exodus is a blessing of increased population. Adam and Eve were instructed to populate the earth. God blessed Abraham and Sarah by giving them a descendant. God blessed the nation of Israel by increasing the young nation's population. At the start of the book of Exodus, we are given a small review on the descendants of Jacob, who God later named Israel. And so when we talk about the children of Israel, we're talking about the descendants of Jacob, uh, In Exodus 1, verses 5 through 7, All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. As I said, the nation starts at 70 people. That's a modest number for a nation, isn't it? Joseph and his generation die, but the nation continues. In fact, the nation grows. And that is proof in the book of Exodus that God is blessing them. But very quickly in the book of Exodus, we get to Pharaoh's cursing. Because Joseph had saved the nation of Egypt, uh, by the way, who actually saved the nation of Egypt? Egypt. It was the Lord. The Lord orchestrated all of it, and he did so for his own purposes, namely to save Jacob and Jacob's descendants. But because Joseph was used by God to save the Egyptian nation from starvation, Pharaoh was a blessing to Joseph and Joseph's family. Remember God's promise to Abraham? He said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Egypt was a blessing from the time of Joseph till the time of verse 8 in Exodus 1. That time frame was a few hundred years, and then in verse 8, everything changes. It says in Exodus 1, 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. The collective memory of the nation no longer remembered Joseph. Egypt had been a blessing to Israel because they remembered how Joseph, the Israelite foreigner, saved the nation from starvation, and he also increased the power and the authority of the Pharaoh. Joseph sold grain and in return collected property that increased the size and scope of Egypt. People were beholden to Pharaoh, which increased his power and authority throughout the known world. Eventually, a new Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph and all that Joseph had done to, to benefit the nation, the line, and the line of the Pharaohs. Because Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph, he also didn't remember Joseph's God. And that is dangerous. The Pharaoh, at the time of Joseph, recognized an important truth about the God of Joseph. Going back to Genesis 41, verse 38, it says, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. The previous pharaoh recognized the Spirit of God in Joseph. Because the Spirit of God was in Joseph, Joseph was wise and discerning, more so than any adviser in the kingdom. So Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of everything. Pharaoh wanted to be blessed by God, so he honored Joseph and put Joseph Joseph in charge of everything. Hundreds of years later, the new Pharaoh did not know Joseph and did did not know the Lord whom Joseph served. With that lack of knowledge, Pharaoh began making one mistake after another. Back to Exodus 1 verses 8 through 10, it says, Pharaoh, who, who did not know Joseph, he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let's deal, sh- let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Because if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. He was worried this mighty nation within Egypt, if, if another nation were to war with Egypt, they might rise. Choose that other nation, and from within they could cause a lot of problems as they as they grew in strength and might. Uh, and uh, and he said, and um, if they leave us, there's a lot of benefit. They they offer a lot of value to us, and we don't want to see that. We don't want to see that go. Um, so Pharaoh didn't see the Israelites as a blessing. The Pharaoh during the time of Joseph saw Israel as a people that God will their God will bless me. If I bless them, he recognized that hundreds of years later, you now have a Pharaoh who does not, does not know that he doesn't see Israel as a blessing. He sees them as a threat because of that Pharaoh makes the Israelites slaves and he deals harshly with them and afflicts them with heavy burdens. Pharaoh's idea is if we work them hard, they'll be too tired and too worn out to make babies. That's his line of reasoning. The other upside to turning the Israelites into slaves was the slaves would show off the mightiness of Pharaoh by building grand structures, and then the whole world will know who Pharaoh is. It says, therefore, back in Exodus 1, and verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, whole cities built for storage, and Pharaoh could put out his chest and say, aren't I something? But Pharaoh's plan didn't work. In verse 12, it says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. It's an interesting concept here. The more Pharaoh cursed them, the more God blessed them. I wonder if the Israelites recognized God's blessing. Maybe some of the Israelites recognized the blessing of God, but I bet there were a good number of Israelites that only noticed Pharaoh's cursing. It is easy to only see the bad when suffering. Seeing the benefit or the blessing of God is difficult when in trials. So then, because that didn't work, Pharaoh tried his second plan pharaoh and the egyptians they didn't give up pharaoh increased the workload but also had more sinister wicked plans he told egyptian midwives to kill the baby boys at birth nobody will know you know you can you can you can suffocate them and then say it's a stillborn you could strangle them they're they're so vulnerable at that point and uh and the and the woman giving birth won't know you'll just Kill the baby and present it as dead. It's a it's a it's a secret, sinister way to control the population. But it didn't work. They kept having babies, and the midwives didn't do what Pharaoh told them to do, because typically midwives like to see live babies, and and you know I I know it it's a controversial thing to say today, but killing babies is wrong. I can't believe that's controversial, but it is. Well, these midwives understood that. And so they didn't obey Pharaoh you recognize the amount of courage that took to, to uh, disregard the command of the king of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. And yet that's exactly what they did. They, they disobeyed, um, and Pharaoh said, "What's the population keeps increasing? What's going on?" And this might be my favorite part of the Bible, ever. What the uh, midwife said to him, uh, "You can read it for yourself, and it always sounds really nice in the Bible." But basically, this is what they said. They said, "These these uh, Hebrew women, they are hardy. They're they're not like the the fine Egyptian women. These these wives of farmers and ranchers, like." they're shooting out babies before we can get there. These Hebrew women, they grunt and a baby flies out. We we can't get there in time. And uh, Pharaoh must have agreed cuz, you know, like, okay, that makes sense. Uh I I I wouldn't want to be the one to go see if that's true. You know, he, he kind of took him at their word at that. Um you know, I, I've heard people say, "Man, that that woman can pork out a baby." That's apparently what the midwives told Pharaoh and Pharaoh was like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, by the way, God said he would bless those who bless Israel, right? God blessed these midwives. They were able to have families of their own. God blessed them. Uh, it's it's Exodus one seventeen 17 through 19 that gives that account. So God blessed those, those ladies, uh, and God blesses the Israelite nation even when Pharaoh increased his hostility. The greater, of Pharaoh, the greater of Pharaoh's cursings, the greater the blessing of the Lord. It says in, in verses 20 through 21, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then we get to Pharaoh's greatest curse. In Exodus 1.22, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live. We're not doing this secretly. We're not going to be sinister anymore. We're not doing this in the shadow. Pharaoh says, we're out and open. You see a, a, a young Hebrew child, a male, throw him in the Nile. You have the rights to do that. And this is, this is a, you need to do it. You, it's your patriotic duty. If you love this country, it's your patriotic duty to to deal with this threat of the Israelites. And here's how we're dealing with this threat. There came an all-out assault on the people of God. The nation that had been blessed by God was being cursed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh enslaved them, secretly tried to slow down the birth rate by having midwives suffocate babies, and then publicly call out for violence by having babies thrown into into the Nile River to drown. That is pure evil. If the Egyptian nation had remembered Joseph and Joseph's God that had been a blessing to them for centuries, they would not have felt a need to react to a threat that wasn't there. Egypt had experienced the blessing of God, but now they were about to feel God's curse. The Israelites were living in a nightmare. They probably pinched themselves to wake up from their hellish reality. They probably tried to force open their eyes to escape, but to no avail. Certainly, they wondered why God would allow their existence to become so miserable. They would have come to, would have come to quite a shock to recognize that this was God's plan all along. We go back to Genesis 15, in verse 13 through 16. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here to Canaan in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God had told Abraham all that was going to happen. Abraham's descendants would live in a land that did not belong to them. They would become slaves in that land. God would judge the nation that afflicted them, and the Israelites would leave that land with great wealth and possessions. After leaving the land of their affliction, they would possess the land that God had promised them, the land of Canaan. The timing of all the promises was based on God's patience in allowing the Amorites to repent from their wickedness. The inhabitants that were currently living in Canaan were wicked, and God said, their time of judgment hasn't come yet. I'm giving them time to to repent, to change their mind. Once God determines that they had enough time, he would bring the Israelites back into the land and use the Israelites as his arm of judgment against the Amorites. But most of the Israelites were ignorant of that. And even if they did know, it doesn't lessen the pain of having your son drowned in the Nile River. Two questions would come to mind. Does God know? Does God know? Does God see what's happening? Uh, Why why is this? this God must not know. Or, maybe even of a worse thought, what if God does know, but he doesn't care? Exodus 2:23 says this During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God The answer is yes God knew and yes God cared We often talk about how trials produce character and character produces maturity The New Testament epistle James says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, but when you encounter trials, be joyful because trials produce maturity. We've also discovered that trials make us not love this world so much. We remember that we have a home and it is not here. All of that is true and all of that helps put temporary life events into perspective. But affliction still hurts. Affliction can make you feel abandoned. Affliction can make you feel like you are all alone. Does God hear my cry for relief, my cry for justice, my cry for help? The answer is a resounding yes. God had four responses to Israel's cry for help, and we see the Lord's reaction. In Exodus 2, verses 24 through 25, we're skipping ahead a little bit. It says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The first one that is listed is God heard. What did God hear? God heard their groaning. Friends, God hears your groaning. God hears your cries for help. They don't fall on deaf ears. Psalm thirty-four, seventeen says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The cry from the righteous is heard by God and acted upon. Our righteousness is not our own. It is the righteousness of Christ. It should be no surprise that our Heavenly Father has a special response to His children. When our kids were young, and we were with a group of other young families, a cry in the other room would go out, and all of the parents would pause for a brief second to listen. Is that my kid, or is that someone else's? Once a parent determined that the cry was not from their kid, they would go about their day a bit relieved that they would not have to deal with it. I'd have a saying, I'd say, Ain't my kid. Ain't my kid. Hopefully, my kid wasn't the cause of the other kid crying, right? That was the the concern. God doesn't hear all cries the same. God doesn't. If you are a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus, God hears your cry of distress. But then also, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Psalm 105, 8, it says, He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. And a little later in that psalm, it says, For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. God told Abraham that Abraham's descendants would be servants and afflicted in a foreign land. But God also told Abraham that God would bring them out of the land with great wealth. God remembered his promises. God saw. What did God see? Well, we're told as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. When well, it said that God saw, it said that God saw who? God saw them. God saw them. It's not just the idea of the ability to see something. It, it's, it's relational. It's relational, uh, Love, love going to to my kids sporting events and uh, uh, the different things that they did. If they all had just even with, with the with football, you can't see them, right? They got the helmet, they have shoulder pads and they all wear the same the same uniform. And I'm telling you I could pick out my kid if, if no problem. no problem. You, you know your you know your kid. You know the way they move, the way they walk their mannerisms you can just look and even if there's a hundred kids that are the same size you just you know yours right parents you can you can pick them out it's because there's a relationship there uh god sees his people god sees them uh and then it says that god knew god knew Different versions add to the last part of Exodus 2:25. If you, with your Bible, if if you, if you read that, um, it, it might have more, might be more written than just God knew, right? It might it might have a little bit more written. For instance, um, different versions add to this last part of Exodus 2:25, and you can tell if if things were added to your version if it's printed in italics, all right? If it's printed in italics, that's the translator saying. We're, we're giving you extra information to help you understand. All right. And, uh, and so in the, in the New Living Translation, it adds that God knew it was time to act. Uh, in the NAS- NASB, it says that God took notice of them. The NIV adds and was concerned about them. The New King James Version says God acknowledged them. The old King James Version said God had respect unto them. They're all trying to explain uh, this very simple two-word, God knew. Uh, The only one that I could find, and I didn't do an exhaustive check, is the ESV is the only one that doesn't try to explain what God knew. It just simply says, God knew. I think the other versions should take that out should take out the explanation because the impact, God God heard the, the distress. God remembered his promised covenant with Abraham. God saw his people. And this last one just sums it all up very simply. God knew. He heard their groaning. He remembered his covenantal promise. He saw his people and God knew. Friends, your trials, your difficulties, your afflictions, God knows. God knows. Anguish you feel, all of that, God knows. So what do we do with that? Don't hesitate to call out to him because he hears. Hold on to his promises because he remembers. Don't doubt God's awareness because he sees. Never doubt his attention because God knows. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning that assures us of who you are and what your character is and that you care about your people. God, it it can be... Afflictions are never fun. Trials are, are painful there are things that that folks in this room have 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 experienced or maybe experiencing now and and they, they're wondering if you know, they wonder if you care. Father, thank you that your word makes it very clear that you do. Uh, that you are a God who, who in fact knows. And so we can call out our our trials and troubles to you knowing that you are a God who sees and hears and remembers and that you know and that you know us. Thank you for that relationship we can have with you that is, is unique uh, as people who have been forgiven of our sins because Jesus loved us so much that he died for our sins, paid the penalty uh, of, of sin, which is death, and then rose again showing that death and sin had been conquered, that your holy demand had been met for righteousness through Jesus Christ, and that it's in his righteousness that we share, not a righteousness of our own. Father, help us to never doubt your love because it's demonstrated on the cross when Jesus died for our sins.